All right. It's Thursday. How are y'all feeling? How you feel about it? You know, I'm grateful. I'm real grateful. I was able to hear the sounds of people laughing, some people arguing, some people more stuff like that. What are you grateful for? I know about some people in some parts of the world who don't have that. And I feel like COVID should have taught us a lot, but I feel like we still missing the message. What's up y'all? CJ here, and this is The Sound of Black and Brown. And tonight on this episode of What Should White People Do? We're gonna be talking about Palestine, okay? We're gonna be unpacking this while everybody gets themselves situated, you know? Um, I want you to think about it. What's your thoughts? What's your thoughts on Palestine? Should we care? Should we not care? You know, I see our friend, a great comrade. I am so happy. You all, I'm so excited. I've been waiting for this person to show up because I have a funny feeling they have some strong thoughts on Palestine. Mr. Goslin, would you like to introduce yourself and then give us a little overview on your Oh, Peter Goslin here. Um, probably the most important thing for folks in the United States to be thinking about is that, believe it or not, the Palestinians are not waiting for us to solve their problems. Um, they would, uh, uh, they need our help, they need our solidarity, they need our support, um, but they don't need to tell us what would be the best way for them to achieve their liberation. Oh, oh, you just, whoa, Peter, you can Peter, you know what we like about you? <laughs> <laughs> you just came through the gate. Damn. No apologies. No apologies. He ain't going to tell you sorry. Now, could you just say a little more on that for the folks who are not aware what you mean by that? Because one of the things I can tell you as a black immigrant organizer is that we're getting a lot of backlash to black and brown activists for not being active enough. But we're going to talk about this after you explain this little piece here about us not, you know, the America not needing to tell them what to do. But also that little backlash, I want us to talk about that too. But please, why shouldn't people tell these people in Well, you know, if you think about it, I think that most progressive people in the United States have heard of this thing called colonialism. And they understand that an awful lot of the relations, the power relations that exist in the world today between Europe and the United States and the global south or whatever you want to call it, um, that those were created through colonial exploitation. And they understand that everybody kind of gets that, right? Uh, but um, they don't think about the way that influences our decision making and our thought process because we see ourselves as being kind of enlightened beyond that. And, you know, the thing about colonialism is it's based on the idea that uh, that Europeans could go into nations in Africa or Asia or Latin America and say, you know what, I figured out the best way for you to use your resources. I figured out the best way for you to be governed. I figured out the best way for you to live your lives. I figured out the best way for you to provide the things that I need. Um, I've got this all worked out. You don't need to decide any of those things. Um, and we know that, you know, over the last, uh, you know, half century, three quarters of a century, 
that uh, most nations in the world that were in a colonial relationship with the United States or with Europe have said, no, we actually want to be able to make our own decisions. Progressive activists often think that we've outgrown that way of thinking, but it really contaminates like a lot of the things that we do. Um, so starting from the idea that we could learn from what the Palestinians are doing uh, and that in any event, you know, our goal is not to come up with the best possible way for them to carry out their struggle. Um, for some people, that's a kind of like that's an internal struggle. That's like a decolonization of your mind. Oh, this guy. Who you dropping some big verbs there, man? You, <laughs> you go, no. I just want to say to the audience, right? So this is this is something huge, you know. On this particular series, what should white people do? Persons such as allies, comrades, people I'm happy to say I'm in solidarity with and proud to because we need more white people who are not afraid to address each other, A, and B, to be forward thinking to say, guess what? We don't know all the answers because in my opinion, what I'm hearing is, okay, there's people who still support that Christopher Columbus mentality, right? And the irony of all of this happening right after that well, we call it Indigenous People's Day, but some people still, right? I see Ramon is coming on, so I'm excited to hear his thoughts too, because, you know, I don't feel like the media is our friend here, Peter. What do you think? Oh, well, that's totally, that's totally true. Uh, you know, one of the things that I have seen every day since Saturday morning with respect to, you know, what's going on in Palestine uh, is this, uh, what I call moral calculus. The moral calculus is how many people who look like us have to be killed in order to be the equivalent of, you know, of uh, equivalent number of people who don't look like us, people who are brown or black people, uh, you know, um, how many children have to be killed in Gaza by bombing uh, to be the equivalent of one child that gets kidnapped uh, or killed in, uh, you know, in uh, as a result of the Hamas uh, insurgents, and uh, and it's really tempting, you know. We 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 know that those kids look a lot like our kids, um, and their lifestyle looks a lot like our lifestyle. Uh, it's a really easy thing to fall into when the only thing you're presented with is today this child was killed. And they don't tell us. And yesterday, 50 Palestinian children were killed. Yeah, it's just like, you know, here we go again with this white supremacist media, right? It's just like the cataloging of this thing is so skewed, okay? And it's evoking a lot of tension. I could feel it. I mean, a day ago, I went into a local store and I could see like my Muslim friend is in pain. People are blaming a religion. What's your well, first of all, people need to know that, you know, well, this is my pitch I make to everybody about every time we have this discussion. There is no such thing as a religious war. There is no such thing as a war over race or ethnicity. War is about a struggle over resources. It's about who has land, who has uh, control over the land. It's about who has control over their water supplies, control over their labor power, control over their natural resources. So. 
Um, if we're look, trying to look at and understand what's going on in Palestine through this lens of this is a religious war, um, I think we're always going to miss the point because really this is about whether or not the people who have lived in Palestine for hundreds and hundreds of years will have the ability to control their own land and their own resources or whether those land and resources will be continue to be controlled by a settler state that was created and came into existence for the first time in only only in 1948, less than 100 years ago. That's madness. It's madness. It's You know, you follow the money, right? You follow the money. I see Ramon just signed on. Ramon, you want to give a quick intro and some thoughts on... Could you hear me? Yes, sir. Yeah, so... <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes. Yeah, so... You know, just on... Um, you know, I'm... You're coming in a little muffled, um, Ramon. Just so you know, you're coming in a little muffled. You might. Could you hear me better? All right. So yeah, I mean, um, it's a terrible situation. You know, um, you know, I I'm totally for you know wanting, you know, to see, you know, every everyone live in peace. And it's it's a terrible tragedy, what's going on out there, and um. Yeah, it's a shame. I don't think that, um, you know, we should be, um, you know, taxpayers' dollars should be being funneled to, you know, you know, hurt people. And, you know, there's a history, you know, of, you know, what's going on, you know, after World War II, um, you know, United States, Britain, or what have you, um, you know, sent a bunch of, um, you know, uh, you know, you know, people who identify as Jewish into, um, into Israel and, you know, and then they start to, you know, basically gentrify and push these people back. Ooh, and, that kind of sounds well, like something else we know about, huh? <laughs> Wait, you coming in muffled again? I think wherever you're standing, it got a little muffled. Say that. So there's, you know, and there's a history of this and, and stuff like that. Like the Muslims ruled Spain for, you know, seven to a thousand years. And, you know, you know, the architecture, you know, the history is there. And they didn't, you know, push, you know, Jewish and, you know, Christian people out. And as soon as the Spanish Inquisition came, Christopher Columbus and what have you, and, you know, they funded, um, you know, this expedition into the Americas with this you know, um, you know, murderer that we know as Christopher Columbus that was lost, and you know, and then we get slavery and you know, other European nations. Come on, I'm mad you talking about this like we went into Walmart. I'm mad you talking about this like we went into Walmart. And we said, all right, I'm gonna just go down aisle H. 
I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pick up some genocide. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yo, let me tell you, this is madness because he's absolutely right. As he's talking, you know what I'm thinking about. Peter, what are you? Well, uh, yeah, no, what Ramon, first of all, Ramon's starting point that this is about, um, you know, our taxpayer dollars, you know, that's a really important part of this equation that really can't be left out. People are talking about, you know, w whether Hamas is the right organization to support, whether or not there's somebody else that they should support, um, whether or not these are the right tactics, whether some other tactics should be used. and you know, the starting point should be the United States every year provides like, I don't know, like $2 billion in military aid to Israel. And we're in the process of sending an aircraft carrier group, uh, you know, to the to the Gulf, uh, you know, right now. And those are things that people in the United States, especially white people in the United States, actually could have some influence over, right? If we said with one voice in a strong and united way, we don't want our money to be used in this war, that could actually have a big impact on what happens there, um, more so than anything else that we could do. You know, Peter, this is why, so I'm saying, this guy right here, he ain't going to fuck with you, old man. Peter came through on a mission today because it needs to have, we need to have these conversations. And I really appreciate you saying that, Peter, for so many reasons on all of our behalf, because I swear people think that black and brown people don't talk about this stuff. I swear, they feel like we have no opinion, that we don't have any type of thoughts, feelings, or whatsoever. I, for one, can attest to being invited very grudgingly to pro-Palestine events that were whitewashed. I want to start with Ramon. You still with us, Ramon? Or yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. Um, yeah. So I mean, it's like this. Like, I mean, we're we're in America, like you know, and if you know people were coming over here like trying to hurt us, like I'll be one of the first ones. I'm not gonna let anything bad happen to like anyone like as you know if, if you're not wrong you know especially kids and children i mean it's and it's atrocious that you know i mean you know it's it's the history you know that you know they were able to live in peace for all these years and then all of a sudden after world war ii you have all these you know conflicts spiraling spiraling out of control and that you know connecticut you know or the U.S. is supporting that is, is is not acceptable. You know, they're you know I believe in peace and and I mean it's 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 a very compounded situation. No, you're right, but I appreciate no, your right, thoughts because here's what I am hearing and receiving, and you know, unfortunately, some articles I read, the black and brown um, activist community is getting lambased, as we say back in my home country, um, for not having enough of a reaction. My argument back is, is that for some reason, whenever there are these types of protests, we who, who suffered the outcome of this shit don't get 
a voice on the platform. We get tokenized, right? Manny, a couple of days ago, shared his experience. He, you know, he walked upon an event happening in New Haven. He doesn't have an opinion on anything. He admitted to that. He doesn't have a preference. Fine. You know, he walked upon and he saw this um, event happening. It was a pro-Palestine event. When the person asked him, you know, instead of saying, hey, how are you doing? They came right at him. What are you doing here? He said, well, I, I just want to see what was going on. I see all these people gathered. Well, who are you for? He said, well, I don't, I don't really know. You know, I, I don't know. I don't have a side. He's 18 years old. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, the, uh, you know, whitewashing, the word that you use for it, it's, you know, it's a, it's a perfect example of that. Um, you know, I was thinking as you were talking about this uh, instance that I saw um, happening, I've seen happening quite a bit uh, on social media in the last few days, that is sometimes kind of shocking. Like, you know, I'll really have to kind of do a double take where someone would come into a conversation about the situation in Palestine and they would start off by saying, you know, I have family and friends who live in Israel and I can't believe that people are talking about this and they're so incredibly insensitive to everything that we've been going through as a result of this attack by Hamas. And the one thing that nobody in the conversation ever seems, people are ready to discuss it, they're ready to talk about how sympathetic they are, how compassionate they are, the one thing nobody ever seems to come back and say is, well, gee, you know, I have friends who are Palestinians who are over there. You know, I have, I've, you know, I know people who, whose families are in Gaza and, and I'm really worried about them. So why aren't we having a discussion about that too? Not just that part. This, I want to add a comma there, Peter, really quick. What about the students? Sure. What about the damn students? Not just there, but here. Because let's not ignore the fact that the students do, the college students in particular, we don't know what their lives are like right now, do we? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely right. I mean, this is a really hard time for, and, and not just for, and I think that this is the other thing that people really kind of need to think about is that it's not just a question of like, if you're Palestinian, how do you feel about this? It's if, if you're from that region of the world, and you've grown up in this context in which it's a given that Israel has the right to do these things to people who you identify with. They're your people, you know, ethnically, religiously, on a whole lot of, you know, different levels. They are your people. And people are killing, you know, Israelis are killing them. And that doesn't count. That's not part, that can't be part of the discussion. Because unless, unless, unless you bring it up, of course. Then there maybe it's going to be sort of an embarrassed look around the room, like, oh, gee, that's right, we kind of have to talk about this too. Uh, what a drag, because you know, here we were, we had this nice discussion going about what it feels like to be a white person in, you know, in in Palestine, um, and all of a sudden we have to look a little bit further than that. Um, yeah, I think this is a really horrific time for. Um, you know, for a lot of Palestinian Americans, a lot of Arab Americans, uh, an enormous number of people who are in solidarity with Palestine, because there's this sense that the whole thing is just rolling right over them, um, that they don't count, that their perspective doesn't count, that they're just not even there, they're invisible. 
You know, you're so right. And you know what's also pissing me off, and I'd love to hear Ramon's feedback on this, is the attack on Islam. Islam is not, you know, a spirituality of violence. We're peaceful. Okay, we don't believe in all of that. I, I think that we have so many houseless, jobless, foodless people amongst many other lesses. I mean, people are losing their health insurance. I could give at least, I'll, I'll be generous, three reasons, and I'm being sarcastic, of, or at least three other things money could be spent on, right? I don't like this attack on Islam. Ramon, do you see that happening? Yeah, definitely. You know, um, you know, they say Muslims. You know, um, Muslims are Semitic. You know, you know, we speak. You know, Arabic. I'm I'm Puerto Rican. I you know I read Arabic. You know, fluently. And yeah, you know, you see this anti-Islam. You know, um, and I will never accept something that you know push me to hate or hurt people or anything like that. And it's just terrible that you know people are it's awful. No, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, that is not a religion on that basis. It was never violent. Right. And I don't like it because this has now turned in. And it's also um, international religion. They're not only Muslims there, but across the world. And this has caused, you know, other frictions. Right. Any thoughts on. All well, one thing I definitely have been thinking a lot about, and I, you know, I, I think it's something that uh, progressive folks in general just really in the United States are really just beginning to come to grips with. You know, we've seen some really remarkable events in the last couple of months, and they're kind of maybe in the background, like maybe they're the kind of things that aren't as dramatic as wars, and so we don't count them the same way. But this new alignment of political and economic forces around BRICS, uh, you know, the alliance of the, these di different countries in the global south, um, you know, it's a it's it's financial, it's economic, it's banking. It probably sounds really boring, but it's really really amazing. I mean, you know, BRICS was originally it was what uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, right? And now after the big meeting that they had uh, in uh, Johannesburg last month, it's uh, it's now um, th there are what four other countries that have come in, and that includes. Iran and Saudi Arabia, like, okay, those are two countries that throughout this whole colonial period that we've lived in for the last century have been at odds, you know, sometimes violently at odds because they represent, among other things, different branches of Islam and different ways of life. Um, and all of a sudden, as a result of BRICS, these people in these two countries are talking to each other. They're engaging in a dialogue with each other because they both have an interest in, they both have much more of an interest in being able to trade than they do in being able to fight a war. And for so many countries in the global South, 
that previously you know, had no choice. They could either be in the global orbit of the United States and, and Europe economically and do what they said, or they could be opposed to it and deal with the fact that you know, that might cause trouble for them. Those are the only choices. Now there's another choice, which is the ability of these countries to interact with each other outside of that sphere of US control. And look at what's happening as a result. I mean, I don't know whether or not what's happening in Palestine relates to that, but you know, just in this last couple of months, look what's happening in West Africa, right? After, you know, after decades of French colonialism, controlling everything about life in these in these uh, in these countries really impoverished countries all of a sudden they're saying you know what we can dispense with the french we don't actually need them we can actually kick them out because they're no longer the only place that we can go to if we want money for development or we need loans in order to build up our infrastructure or in order to be able to engage in trade we now have another option um and i think that's going to be have like an enormous impact in the coming, you know, maybe even in the coming short term, um, that that nations are going to be able to say, we have a we can choose to do this differently. And we don't have to fall into the same patterns that were created for us by the colonial structure. Um, you know, we can act independently of that, or at least, you know, more independently of that. Um, and, um, you know, without relying on the U.S. dollar and without having to interact with Washington. Well, that's why, like you said, that point that Ramon raised there through the gate, the money involved, right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm reading right now a headline that states, it's from um, the Washington Examiner, Day of Resistance prompts House GOP to demand protection for Jewish students. How do you feel about that? You know what, um, there's a, I, this is something I was just thinking about. I was starting to write something about this just the other day. Um, it's related to that. And just, if you don't mind, I'm just gonna kind of take it in a slightly yeah. different, more local direction, right? Article in a Connecticut newspaper, I think it was the Connecticut Insider, an article about um, hate crimes, anti-Semitic hate crimes in Connecticut, pointing out that the number of, of anti-Semitic hate crimes in Connecticut doubled over the last year. And then linking that to the current situation in Palestine. It's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How did you draw this connection? Because the hate crimes against Jews that have been escalating in Connecticut are being carried out by white supremacists and fascists. They've been carrying out by people, you know, by these, you know, people and organizations who want to exterminate Jews and black people and brown people, you know, and they have absolutely nothing to do with what's going on in, uh, you know, in, in Palestine and Israel. What the author was trying to do was to somehow say, yeah, you know what? Jews are really getting put up against the wall. They're being subjected to all this violence. The violence are being subjected to here, you know, they could be in danger here because of what's going on in the Middle East. But the danger that they're being faced with, the danger that Jews are being faced with here in Connecticut, it comes from an entirely different place. It's not like Palestinian activists are going to be going out on the street looking like hunting for Jews. On the other hand, we do know that there are white supremacists. There are KKK members, there are Nazis, neo-Nazis, uh, you know, far-right QAnon people who um, are, in fact, carrying out hate crimes against Jews in the United States every day. It is not 
You know, it is not supporters of Palestine um, who are carrying out those hate crimes. So trying to draw an equation between those two, it's a classical problem of like, oh, well, being if you're anti-Zionist, if you're against the state of Israel, you're critical of the state of Israel, somehow that's the same as being anti-Semitic. Like, okay, but here in the United States, many of the, and, and for that matter, even in Israel, many of the leaders of the solidarity movement with Palestine are Jewish people. You know, the, these are, this is not where the anti-Semitism is coming from. And when that's not recognized, it creates, A, it creates a big danger because it means we're not looking at where that, where the danger really lies, but also because it, it uses Jewish people to target Muslim and Arab and, and pro and uh, people and pro-Palestinian people, you know, it uses that, this, this misalignment or this, this piece of misinformation in order to excuse targeting these people. And, you know, we've seen what happens after 9-11, we saw what happens when the federal government decides that, uh, you know, that Muslims and Arab Americans are dangerous. You know, they go out there and they engage in all sorts of COINTELPRO activities. Um, you know, they, they, they threaten people, they intimidate people, they infiltrate, you know, mosques um, and, you know, Muslim community centers. They violate people's civil rights for just engaging in perfectly lawful, peaceful activity. Um, and that's really being encouraged by this attempt to connect anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. You're absolutely correct. And I'm glad that you brought it back to Connecticut because you're so, so, I mean, you know, right? And we don't talk about that. Like people ignore the fact that the racism and these groups are here, right? Take it from someone who drove across this damn state with fuck Trump on her car. I could tell you some shit, right? These people are here. And I feel like, I love what you're saying about how they're trying to draw this connection because I feel like they jump at any chance to exploit a situation, right? Sounds kind of like colonialism to me, I don't know. Um, so Manny just joined on Manny. We're talking about what's going on in Palestine and the whitewashing of the movement. You want to share some thoughts? Yeah. So as we discussed in the you know previous episode, right? Um, I, I think it's important for people to be educated on just the historical context, right, of the conflict that we're seeing today. Um, and now the emphasis that I put on the historical context, right, is so that, like I said, you know, again, in the previous episode, in trying to get educated about the current conflict, right, it, you have to be very weary of where you're getting your information from because it can be a very one-sided and biased uh, narrative on the conflict itself. So, you know... Yes, you know, it's it's an atrocious thing, uh, just the act of war itself. You know, that's my stance on it, uh, as I made clear you know, beforehand. You know, there is so much that goes into it, right? And But again, like I said, I'll, I'll refer people to just be educated on just the historical facts, you know, from 1947 to present day, 
right? Um, but like you, you know, I, I want to echo something we had said previously, um, it, and something that you said specifically, CJ, right? Was that yes, black and brown people, you know, do have stances, do have opinions, and things that they want to say, right? Um, after after hearing about what's happening, but but where are the spaces that they can actually say, you know, their thoughts, their opinions, their stances, right, perspectives on these types of things? So yeah, I think that's a very clear point that you know you made, and that we just have to keep echoing. Thank you, Manny. Right, because that's what we were coming off the heels and talking about. Right. So what's your thoughts on that, Peter? You know, this is someone from Gen Z that's saying, look, man, you know, here we have black and brown people saying, talking about Palestine. It's bad enough that we get treated like we don't talk about anything besides BET. Right. Um, But it seems like people forget we do actually have thoughts on this matter, amongst other things. And the whitewashing is ridiculous. Right. You see all these protests, but you don't see us giving us space. What's your thoughts on that, Peter? Well, you know, the easy answer to that would be like, oh, well, we have to create space. And I know that there are plenty of folks who, you know, understand that or think they understand that or feel that and would like to do that. Um, But it's a hard thing to follow through with. And I think when we're looking at something like this current situation, well, first of all, I'm, you know, what many said is right on. I mean, obviously, we have to study history. People need to, people have to, can't, it's not even just like, you know, progressive or left media isn't enough. You know, we have to have a historical understanding of what's going on. Um, so I think that's a really big piece of it. I do think another big piece of it is um, the idea that, uh that if we're going to look for points of commonality, if we're gonna look for, well, how do we make this movement stronger by connecting people, getting people connected? What would make people wanna be in solidarity with people, with Palestinian people? You know, there's a very little tiny meme that's floating around social media, which I think is, you know, it's really really brilliant. It's, It's really short and it's like a bumper sticker and it's really brilliant. It basically says, I will never forget the way that Palestinian people taught us about uh, how to how to deal with the police tear gassing us during the George Floyd demonstrations. Like, yeah, um, the the role of um, the role of the police in this country against black and brown people is not different from what people are experiencing in, you know, in West, the West Bank um, at the hands of, you know, is, is the Israeli uh, police. Um, the oppression is the same. It has the same root. Um, it has the same logic to it. It's based on the idea that black and brown people, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, uh, you know, are, uh, are not civilized and the white, the, you know, the white master, the white overseer has to be able to impose order on on them in order to make them behave as civilized people. Um, and that's, that's the root of, of police brutality in this country. And it's the root of 
you know, this kind of racist oppression in Israel, just as it was in South Africa, you know, in the period of the, during the apartheid period. Um, this is, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, of course, the flip side of that too, right? Um, I don't know if, if, you know, a lot of folks know this, uh, but um, the state of Israel spends an enormous amount of money every year recruiting local public officials, local fire chiefs, local police chiefs, local, uh, you know, um, fire departments and police departments, sending them to training in Israel to deal with, you know, to deal with security issues. And the reason they do it is that they know that when events like what's happening right now, when they, when they happen, that there are going to be people, there are going to be police chiefs, right? There are going to be police officers. There are going to be fire chiefs. There are going to be mayors. There are going to be council people who will be like, yeah, you know what? I went to Israel and I worked with these people. I worked with the Israeli people and I saw what they have to deal with and I heard what they had to say. And so I'm going to be on the lookout if people start to, like, if I start to see people, uh, you know, siding with the terrorists here in my town, I'm going to be on the lookout for these people and make sure that we crack down on them right away because we all know where that leads. And, you know, there are plenty of towns right here in Connecticut where, uh, you know, this kind of connection was created years ago and it's perpetuated every year on a regular basis um, so that, um, you know, so that Israel knows that it has allies in the white power structure, even at the local level. Um, you know, here in the United States, it has a big impact on our ability to organize, and it certainly has a big impact on how black and brown people can participate in these struggles. Ramon, any thoughts on what Peter just shared there? What should white uh, people? Um, definitely. Um, I mean, white people, you know, should you know shouldn't support any injustice. I mean, um, and I wanted to quote. It was a statement because there were Muslims, um, you know, um, from what I remember reading, such as um, Umar, that when he entered into uh, Jerusalem and it was time for prayer and they asked them, um, yeah, you can pray in, um, you know, I wasn't sure if it was a church or a synagogue. And he said, I don't want to do that. I'm a outside because I don't want future generations to deprive you guys of a place to worship. And this was their, you know, their standard, you know, to live and let live in, in, you know, and so white people should not be, you know, intolerant. No one should be intolerant to injustice, you know, or oppression. And we should not support that, whether, you know, mentally, financially, or what have you, et cetera. Well said. Well said. Manny, what are you thinking over Manny, there? Manny, what are you thinking over there? So, you know, uh, one, I want to I wanna thank, um, uh, sorry if I messed up your name, was it Peter? Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I want to thank you for, uh, you know, uh, reinforcing, you know, my point of, of um you know the fact that we do have to look at this from a historical context right and i was in the previous episode i was going to go you know do a breakdown of along the timeline because 
like a lot of conflicts that we see in present day, right? Um, I mean, whether you take the Russian Ukraine, you know, uh, war that's happening, and then you take the Palestine Israel uh, war, and any other one that really has happened, you know, uh, within the past 60, 70 years, right? Many of the conflicts that we see always have a historical buildup to them, right? Um, a lot of factors at play, a lot of things that happen, right? Um, and then, you know, eventually what we see is the results, right? We see the wars, but then, you know, a lot of people sit there and they're like, oh my gosh, like, where did this come from? This just came out of nowhere. You know, uh, why are these people fighting? Why is this happening? And it's like, okay, you can get the contemporary uh, answer as to why it's happening. You know, like, oh, what happened in the past month, in the past two months? Sure. But that does no justice whatsoever, right, to really explain why these things are happening, right? And again, and I, and I always want to emphasize the fact that if we truly look at it in a, in a very objective, just historical, you know, lens, right, without going in with any particular convictions, right, and seeing what happened on both parties, you know, lead up to what we have now, right, I think, you know, we can gain not only, again, a better comprehension of what's happening, right, but... You know, if you are going to take a particular conviction, you know, on either side, you know, and, and this isn't just applying to the Israel-Palestine, it's applying to Russia and Ukraine, whatever, right? Then, okay, well then, I mean, whatever your conviction is that you're going to be taking, you at least have, you know, this, this actual comprehension of the conflict, right? And so, you know, back when I was talking about black and brown people, right, entering these conversations, right, about these conflicts, like the Russian-Ukraine war, like the, you know, Palestine-Israel one, my main point was, is that a lot of black and brown people, um, for, for the various different reasons, but one of the reasons I said um, as to why they are not familiar, right, with the buildup, with what's actually you know, what we're seeing, right, what's the results that we're seeing right now, right, um, is they don't have the education on, you know, what led up to it, right? Um, and, and two, in conjunction with that, they don't watch the news. I know so, so many, right, black and brown people who they just outright refuse to watch the news, Right, because to them, all they see is negative, 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 barely an explanation as to why negative, negative is happening. And so it, it's a real deterrent for them, right? It, it really is. So, you know, but with that lack of comprehension as to, you know, why said conflicts are happening, right, without them. Um, being, you know, uh, uh, attentive to what's happening, you know, or developing in the news, right? Um, it therefore, what we see is this huge decrease, right, of black and brown voices into these conversations, 
right? Because, yeah, they do want to say things, right? They do want to put opinions. But some of them, you know, don't know enough, you know, about the conflict, aside from what's, you know, been circulating. And again, very biased uh, narratives um, th that circulate, you know, on social media, on the news, whatever have you. Uh, or two, you know, they just don't feel like their opinions and their perspectives and their stances will actually be acknowledged and validated. That's a huge, huge thing, right? Is being acknowledged and validated for their opinions and their statements. And we just don't see that. We don't, we don't really see that happening amongst the black and brown population. You're so right, Manny. I mean, I feel like we really need to educate and re-educate each other and white people too, because there's a lot of misinformation and perception and all that. I want to jump back to a point that Peter made. I can't end this session here without going back to this, because this was big. So he talked about policing and what's happening over there in Palestine. Ramon, what's So, yeah, regarding the policing in Palestine, I mean, it's awful. I mean, I mean, you see, you know, hijabs being ripped off. You know, I mean, it's, it's, they say it's like a prison. Like, I mean, I can't imagine. Well, more specifically, do you see any connections between how that's happening there and how policing is happening here? Because he oh, was definitely. talking about, you definitely. know, the, the similarities there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This is, I mean, it goes down even to the top, like this is brick. You're coming in a little garble, wherever you're standing. Is it better? Yes. All right. So, yeah, it, there's the connection. There's a connection because... It's the it's similar to the same type of um, racial profiling, and you know, um, you know, uh, unlawful seizures and, and you know, and things uh, 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 what have you that we experience as black and brown men in America in Connecticut. It's similar to what they're going through out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's your thoughts, Manny? Do you see a link there? If so, where? <clears throat> so, you know, what I, the link that I can establish, right, is the violence, right? Uh, the violence that we see happening, um, very much so, we see on a domestic level here, right? And, and and that's whether it's you know the uh, the the many scenarios we see of police brutality right throughout the country and the the very far right you know extremists right well the proud boys and and you know the white supremacists when they go on their absolute tirades right of, of just committing violence against black and brown people or really violence against anyone who disagrees with them, right? Because, I mean, they'd even attack other, you know, ethnicities, Asians, white people, whatever. Anyone who disagrees with them, they go on the offensive and actually commit violence. We've seen that time and time again, right? So 
yeah, I mean, there, there's a very, very, I mean, I see it as a, just a mirroring of the violence, right? Look what's happening over there. You know, how, again, anyone who disagrees with the other side, I mean, it's violence, it's shooting, it's death, it's kidnapping, it's beating up, right? It's stabbing, it's all those different things on a domestic level, right? With the white supremacists and the far right extremists, anyone who disagrees with them, it's beating, it's shooting, it's pepper spraying, it's, you know, um, going and, and creating these huge demonstrations of, of fear tactics, right? And intimidation tactics. Right. So, yeah, I mean, this, this is what we see. And you see that, you know, I feel like that is uh, such a common uh, strategy that we see, whether it's in the United States, whether it's Russia and Ukraine, whether it's Israel and Palestine, is that if a side, you know, uh, disagrees with the other side, what is the strategy at play? Violence, fear tactics, you know death really i mean whether you look at it in any way there's always always death seriously ramon all that you just said from palestine to the police in right here in connecticut and the united states right i want to ask you a question now what are white people doing that's good that they could do a little better and what should they um you know not be racist like it, it's it's no one picks what they're going to be born to you know what race their you know their financial situation or what have you and yeah you know um and you know we need to you know um for example um, the killing of the the young Puerto Rican woman, Catherine Colon, um, October twenty second, um, in Britain, you know, um, we're planning a rally, you know, um, to show the, you know, the history of you know oppression against Black and Brown people in Britain by Aaron Stewart and her supporters, the Proud Boys, all that, you know, and it's unacceptable. Thank you. Manny, what about you? What are white people doing well and what could they do better? What should they So, you know, I mean, I will always, always advocate for uh, the fact that there needs to be more unity, right? Uh, be, between races, there just needs to be, right? There needs to be support and encouragement uh between races right um so yeah you know with knowing that you know black and brown people are uh many times kept out of spaces right a lot of times you know our opinions and stances are invalidated and dismissed right uh i think anytime you see that or even suspect that that might be happening right um even if it's as simple as you yourself encouraging, you know, the other person, right? Wanting to hear them out, like, hey, like, what, what were you gonna say? Like, what, what's on your mind, right? What do you think about it, right? Because you'll, you'll never know the difference it makes 
So even just having one person, right? Like to feel like even one person actually wants to hear what you think, what you believe, right? What you want to say. It really does make such a difference, right? But on a grander scale, right? It's, you know, uh, I mean, like Peter said earlier, right? I mean, the, the most overall answer right would be to create more spaces but you know again we know how complex that is but you know again it's still something very much to strive for right it's yeah let's create more spaces right for black and brown people to one get educated right because yeah we can talk but really you know how much can we talk about and and how much substance can we have behind what we're talking about without education right so yeah create those spaces for education and for those voices to be heard right um so yeah so so that's what i thank you manny so peter thoughts on what you just heard what are white people doing well what could they do better what should they well uh First of all, I, I, I agree with what Manny said. I mean, I, I think it is literally true that people often don't realize that, you know, the, the acts of an individual within a group, um, you know, being welcoming, opening the door, taking people seriously and being willing to listen to them and listen to have what they to what they say and really striving to understand it instead of trying to, you know, uh, turn it into something else. Um, it's like, you know, the that that's an enormous critical step um in the movement for all of all white folks um you know i also think that one of the things i have observed is you know we're living in this period where over the last i don't know maybe 10 years the political landscape in the united states has changed in a really dramatic way so that all of a sudden we have an enormous number of people um certainly far more uh, far more white people than was the case 10 years ago, um, you know, who are interested in uh, colonialism and fighting fascism, and they're interested in socialism and communism, um, you know, in being anti-imperialist. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed is that uh, we're not studying it. Like we're not studying it in a serious way. Um, you know, I feel like I feel like I, you know, I would have said a year ago, two years ago, I would have said, hey, you know, my consciousness is pretty well formed. I've been at this for a really long time. Uh, I have a good historical understanding. And about a year ago, I started reading like primarily uh, um, uh, Black American and African and Latino um, uh, historians and economists and realized that like, oh, you know what, I've just already like, I've gone for decades assuming that I understood this stuff. I didn't. I didn't really understand it. Um, you know, uh, I would love to see white political activists say, hey, you know what? Um, let's sit down and do a study group of like the work of Walter Rodney, you know, how Africa, how, how Europe underdeveloped Africa, because that's like at the root of once you read it, once you study it, you're like, hey, this is at the root of everything. Like now I understand the world in a whole different way because it didn't start with Europe. You know, it didn't start with 
you know, um, like the development of industrial capitalism in Europe. It started with Europeans colonizing, you know, colonizing Africa for its resources. And everything that's happened in the last, you know, 500 years um, emanates from that. Um, when we're thinking about the political struggle in the United States and trying to understand white racism and institutional white supremacy, you know, like you have to read W.E.B. Du Bois in order to understand that. Um, and people like to say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's a great, important uh, uh, black American historian, um, but they haven't actually read his work. Um, and I really felt like after I'd read Black Reconstruction by Du Bois, I really felt like, shit, I like understand, I understand American history in a way that I've never understood it before, in which, in which African people are at the center of that history, it, it, and indigenous people are at the center of that history. Um, you know, the idea of studying history with the indigenous people of, you know, uh, Latin America and North America and Asia and Africa at the center of that history. Um, we have to, we have to study it that way. We have to begin to understand it that way because starting from the idea that like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I learned all about Western civilization in school and now I'm going to learn about how other people did things. It doesn't work. Um, it leaves so much residual garbage in our heads um, that we just have to struggle with all the time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the number one thing that white people could do better, we could be studying, we could be studying the world, we could be studying history, economics, sociology, from the perspective of the black and brown nations, rather than from the perspective of, you know, the United States and Europe. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You know, all of you all presented some amazing points. Me for one, you know, I appreciate the white people who are humble enough to accept correction. I appreciate the white people who say, look, CJ, I, I really don't know what the fuck I'm doing, you know, or they realize I fucked up, you know, that's a big step. We all, you know, as black and brown people, we don't get a chance to have that opportunity always to self-reflect we kind of go outside and we're kind of like guilty upon first step you know so i really appreciate that and i feel like as said the representation piece that's huge you know it would be great if that you know more people saw that we're not tokens just to present during an election or when you want to get a bill passed or when you want to look good in media you know we're more than that and we have thoughts now, Peter, this just came across, you know, the news here, and I have to ask your opinion on this. Um, the NYU Bar Association leader loses, lost their job offer at a prestigious law firm after declaring unwavering and absolutely solidarity with Palestinians. This person is also a person of color. What's your thoughts on that? We're going to hear a lot of stories like that. That's going to become a that's going to become a, a problem, um, a, a major a major problem, um, and I, I think it's actually um, even at, 
that because of its currency, because it's happening right at this point in time, it really stands out. It's stark. It's like, yeah, wow, this is going to be a big deal. But I think it's I think it's much worse. Um, I think that we're entering into a period where, um, uh, you know, for anyone, but obviously most of all for black and brown people um, to take the position that uh, take a position that's contrary to the dominant line that's being presented about how the world should work, you know, that comes out of that is essentially a white supremacist worldview um, to openly espouse those positions is going to become increasingly dangerous. You know, um, there was a story the other day about, um, I just thought it was kind of interesting that, you know, the, 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 the British broadcasting company, uh, they have a policy, they have a longstanding policy. And, you know, I don't like, they're, they're owned by the United Kingdom government. And there are a lot of things that they say that I don't like, but they do have, they have a longstanding journalistic policy that they don't use the word terrorism to describe, or terrorists to describe different groups or parties. And, and they say, look, uh, you know, they've been called upon to defend this. And they've said, look, we think that people should be able to hear what has happened and then draw their own conclusions without putting labels on people. And there's an, they're getting an enormous amount of pushback. And here's the thing that's interesting. This is an issue, this has been their policy for decades. And no one's ever said anything about that they should, that they should change this policy because of, you know, uh, Irish militants carrying out actions in England. Um, they've never said anything about it with respect to like any other group of people, um, uh, you know, people, environmentalists who have engaged in disruptive sabotage, things like that. They've never used the word, they've never cared that people, that the BBC did not use the word terrorist to describe them. But now it's, they've decided specifically the BBC should change its policies specifically for Hamas, that Hamas as an organization should be described as terrorist and that it's like a moral failing not to do that. Now, like I said, it's, you know, this is current, it's what happened, it's happening right now and it's you know, maybe a tempest in a teapot in one sense, but it's symbolic, um, you know, because you know that here in the United States, we have, uh, you know, um, people from the African People's Socialist Party who are arrested for talking about and campaigning based on political, a political line that the government thought was too close to what Russia says. Well, they, they've talked to Russians and they're friends with Russians and they're talking about criticism of the United States that's similar to criticisms that Russia has made about the United States. So therefore, they must be agents for Russia. And they've arrested, they arrested several of their leaders on that basis. Um, so, you know, it is going to become a lot more dangerous, um, not just, you know, I mean, we've we've kind of talked sarcastically for a long time now about you know, uh, driving while black, walking while black, uh, you know, sleeping while black. Well, now thinking while black is going to become a crime as well. And this is the first really overt indication of that in the case that you're talking about, that, um, you know, that if a, um, especially young people, if a young black or brown person from within the organization says, 
I have a political stance and it's contrary to what is what you are being told, people are supposed to be thinking and saying um, they will lose their jobs, they will um, be like hounded uh, and attacked, um, they'll run the risk of being arrested. Um, and I think we have to expect a lot more of that type of conflict. You're right. You're absolutely right. More is to come, you know, because when you don't agree with the status quo, right? Um, so hopefully that situation improves and we could only hope now. It's real out here. Ramon, do you have any thoughts on what was just said? Yes, definitely. Please stop sending our money to, um, you know, to oppression and start with home. Wait, run that again because you came out a little guard. I said, I said, we need to stop sending our money, our taxpayers' dollars over there, you know, and, you know, to fund oppression and focus on home here. Absolutely. Manny, what you thinking over there? Sorry. Ramon came in a little uh, staticky for me. What did he say? He said that we need to stop spending our money over there and spend it here. Oh, Do you yeah. have any thoughts on what was just said, including well, what people? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I mean, definitely want to uh, echo that. And um, oh, sorry, my key dropped. So <laughs> yes, I, I absolutely uh, want to agree because here's the thing, right? Um, with the United States having its history as it does, right, being a very <sighs> imperialistic country, right, where we just decide that we're going to, you know, have all these different territories and then have pretty much have a stake in other countries, right? Uh, hence, sending millions and millions and billions of dollars, right? um to these other countries and it's like okay here we are doing all this right sending all this money but here in the united states when you turn on that news channel one of the main things you see oh well we're you know the debt ceiling needs to get raised because we're so in debt or you know the you know we are at risk of not being able to fund a lot of the uh, federally funded public programs, right? Like housing and, and things for education, like free lunch for, you know, uh, students. And, you know, we have all these different things that really should be funded and we should be pouring money into, right? We talk about infrastructure. We talk about, you know, actually trying to uh, develop uh, on a national level, right, uh, affordable housing, Right. Or even, OK, if that's such a huge you know, topic to, to do on a national level. Well, think about how the federal government could be distributing those millions and millions of dollars to states so that states could fund, you know, initiatives and programs for affordable housing and, and things like that. Right. So, you know, I, I absolutely, absolutely agree. Right. With. Yes. Why are we spending so so much money right overseas and then sit here and complain 
and, and by we, I mean to, I'm talking about our legislators, right? Sit here and complain that we don't have enough money for really basic human necessities, uh, if you ask me, for our own citizens, right? It's like, come on, I, make it make sense, please. So I absolutely want to echo that, you know, with, with Ramon, what Ramon said. Um, and, and I think Peter made, in a, oh my God, an immense amount of really great points, you know, to <laughs> pinpoint one is, uh, you know, which one I would want to echo. I want to echo all of them, right? Um, because, yes, I mean, yes, yes, yes to everything, you know, because it, it's like, I'm just, I'm taking in the really great knowledge uh, that are coming from, you know, these two individuals, Ramon and Peter, uh, you know, CJ, I, I had to shout out you for picking the most amazing guest <laughs> to be on this podcast because yes, you know, Peter and Ramon, you know, you know what you're talking about. You're making all of these really great points um, that shoot i mean usually i have a lot of points to make but you guys are taking it all <laughs> let me tell you something everybody everybody especially you manny let me tell you now you're gonna make me lecture you now i'm gonna have to lecture you do not underestimate the power of gen z you all are very powerful and very important in and to the conversation and what we all need to do, including myself and everybody else in my generation, black, white, pink, purple, we need to do a better job of inviting you all into that space and allowing you to be. Ask the damn question. I, listen, I ask stupid questions and I'm not ashamed, right? I thought it was called freedom of speech. I didn't know, you know, um, I really appreciate, Peter, what you said about the situation with the criminalization that's gonna happen now, the job losses, the targeting, and all of that, because that's very important. That should not be happening. And it reminds me, I'm going back to the Black Panthers now. We act like there's not a history here of black and brown people who stand up against oppression, being criminalized and you know demonized. You know, I'm a Fidel person, Che, Malcolm. You know, before we close out, closing thoughts, Ramon. Anything? Yes, no, definitely, you know, um, and I appreciate appreciate you guys having me, um, and yeah, I mean, um, you know, just getting more focused and just, you know, pushing forward and making all this and you know, putting putting this into action and and into reality, and um, you know, that's what I'm pushing for, God willing, and um, thank you for having me. You mentioned an event before. You want to run that again? Tell us a little bit about it, when it is, and what yeah. So, yes, thank you so much, um, sister. Um, so yeah, we moved the event for October twenty second at three p.m. Um, at Central Park in New Britain, Connecticut. You know, to address many of the uh, social issues, the racism, and the injustices occurring in New Britain. Um, elections are going on locally. Um, you know, nationally and what have you. And um, we hope to see you there um, then, um, 3 o'clock, October 22nd. Thank you so much. And thank you for thank taking you so the much. time thank to come you. on. 
Brother, you're doing some amazing work out there. There's so much. You, you're definitely, all y'all are coming back. Come on. And I hope you all realize a couple things here. First and foremost, black and brown people, especially the black and brown men, I'm emphasizing that part, are talking about war, Palestine, and the Benjamins, baby. Before we close, Manny, what? Manny, you still with us or are you still on campus? Because you might be fumbling around to find your speaker button. Okay, we'll come back to Manny. While Manny gets himself figured out over there, Peter, want to share any thoughts and, and also your final thoughts and thank you. Come oh, final thoughts. Uh, well, first of all, CJ, thanks for inviting me to participate in this. It was really a great opportunity and I really appreciate it. Um, but I also want to join you in, you know, uh, uh, and, and being like the oldest person in the room, I will like uh, add to the lecturing. Um, you know, Gen Z is like, it's like Star Wars. It's like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're our only hope. Um, you know, uh, Gen Z is the, the critical generation. Um, Y'all have to figure out how to deal with all the shit that we left behind. Um, we're doing everything with some of us are doing everything we can to try to make it easier, but, um, you've got a tough row and, uh, uh, but what you do is going to be incredibly important. I mean, this generation and the next generation, it might very well be that what you do determines the fate of the human race. I mean, that's wild to think about. Nobody's ever been in that situation before, but your generation how you decide to deal with the issues that we're dealing with, the issues we're talking about, could very well determine, like, you know, whether or not we're going to be, whether or not there's going to be people around 100 years from now. It's that bad. Um, so, um, by all means, speak up, ask questions. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Um, you know, your mistakes uh, are bound to be, um, you're going to learn more from them than you're going to learn from us. You know, Peter, high five, parent to parent, high five, because I Absolutely. feel like, you know, we did a bad job with that. COVID happened and we forgot they were there. I'll say it for all of us. And we act like Gen Z has no thoughts, feelings. I mean, these young people are working at Walmart. They're missing out on opportunities, scholarships, growth opportunities. They're becoming, you know, heads of households before they even had their first heartbreak or figured out their gender identity or anything else, right? Some of them had to get to know parents that were behind bars. Some mm -hmm. had to attend vigils. I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I don't know if I would have done as well as so many of our children did in school during COVID, real talk. And I just want to emphasize that. And Manny, I say this to you a lot, I'm just going to continue the parental, you know, <laughs> that kind of, because you need to hear it because, you know, Manny, at your age, 18, you're unique, but you're not the only one. And I just want to emphasize how much you're appreciated in this space and so many others. If you're ready to go now. Thank you truly so much uh, for the encouragement and support. Like I said, it always means much more than you'll ever know. My message 
to everyone during this great time of, of conflict, of tension uh, throughout so many different countries in the world and even in our own, is people, we need, we need to push the agenda of being educated. We need to encourage each other to support each other, right? To uh, make available these spaces for our voices to be heard, but not only heard, to be acknowledged and validated, right? Uh, in a very true sense. Um, aside from that, uh, no matter what the conflict is, it is always a very disheartening thing to see human lives, human lives dying and, and, and being used as tools in negotiation. Right, regardless of the politics at play, regardless of what the topic is, I, I need everyone to understand that these are human lives that we are talking about. When you see those numbers, they're not just numbers; those are people. Okay, um, and I, and I always, I always want to emphasize the children, the children who are helpless in these situations, right? Who don't know what's going on. Right, we can explain to them, we can try, but they don't know. And I feel for them, I do. Like CJ was saying the other day, to just think about the fact that these children will never know what it's like to just go out on their porch on a peaceful weekend you know, morning and hear the birds singing and the sun shining, the grass green. That is one of the saddest realities that we, that we're, we're faced with. Right, But we here who have that privilege, we take it for granted so often. So I, I want people to think about that. And aside from that, my general message as always is you, whoever you are, regardless of your background, your belief, your, your reputation, right, your affiliation, you have the power, you have the potential to achieve true changes. Right, of such great magnitudes. Whatever capacity that is, well, that is up to you, right? Uh, but there will always be people like me, like CJ, like Three Fists, like Ramon, like Peter, right, who are having these conversations, who are taking up these spaces, that are creating spaces. Thank you, CJ, for creating this space. Um, but we'll be there on the front lines. You'll see us, right? Uh, and I always say for me, you will always, always see me on the front line, getting on somebody's nerve, because that, that is how we wake people up. That is how we get the attention, right, that we <laughs> deserve. And um, yeah, soon, 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 I'll get into the elected office and make the policy changes that we need to see happen. I hope to see you on the right, on the left, in the back room, in the front of the room, wherever you need to be, but together, together, together. That's the message. Thank you so, so much, Manny. See, as I'm saying, you can't leave Gen Z out of the conversation. I can't thank you all enough for coming on. I mean, this is a really important conversation that will be continued. We might be actually streaming within a couple of days another episode of What Should White People Do? Because I can't forget my girl, Amy. She has some thoughts on this, too. We need to have these kinds of conversations where black, brown, and white people could sit down and unpack this. You know, they could say, well, what they say, we say. Peter raised a hell of a point there. 
And I say it all the time, and I'll just say it one more time. We're not always going to agree, but in that disagreement is where you might find some of your best damn solutions. Your failure is not necessarily a failure. It's a learning point, right? And that applies to everybody, okay? We're in a time now where we need to really think, think, right? Really think now because as was pointed out, job losses, we already have so much happening right here. Do we really want to add to that, right? These kids will never know what the sound of sirens, like I hear sirens where I live all the time, okay? I live in the Ville in New Haven and I hear that. And while that might be annoying to me, it's actually a privilege. Look at that privilege, huh? That's a privilege to these kids over there. What the fuck? Or hearing your neighbors arguing or laughing or smelling somebody grilling some that you didn't buy, but now you're greedy, so you want to go get it. I mean, all these things that we do sometimes that, you know, other people, I said the other day, shout out to my people who are serving time for bullshit, shouldn't even be there or even not even that long because our justice system is that fucked up. They don't have those luxuries either. So there's a lot of similarities here, and I want you all to unpack that. And if you have certain privileges, recognize that. But what you going to do about it? There's a lot we could say. Well, I can't thank my guests enough. You guys, always phenomenal, and ladies, right? Always amazing. It's so great to come together in solidarity. I can't thank you all enough for your support, encouragement, and empowerment. Thank you so much, and please continue to like, subscribe, and share. We truly, truly, truly appreciate you all. That's all for now. Fist up, smile on, CJ.